0: All right, the Book of Acts in chapter number seven, and I'll go ahead and tell you up front: we're going to look into some Old Testament passages, so you might find your way to the Book of Exodus. Well, we're going to look at one scripture in the, verse of, in the book of Numbers. So, so anyway, but we're continuing our look at Stephen's defense, and we're getting down to the end of Stephen's defense, but. The goal has been to look at Stephen's defense, uh, his speech that he made, and to use that as sort of an outline for us to look into the history of the children of Israel. And you know, when you do a study like this, it's good because someone who may have never studied the history of the nation of Israel can get an overview of all that God has done through Israel. And someone that has studied God in the past, or studied Israel in the past can get a refresher course and maybe some new insights into the story of what God is doing in the world so it's always good to go back and get a refresher but we remember looking at Stephen in his defense that his defense is built upon the fact that the Jews have rejected God throughout their history it's not like at one point you were faithful and now you You know, now they're being unfaithful. No, they have been hard-hearted throughout their entire history. And his objective is he wants to convince them of their sins so they might repent and turn from their hard-heartedness. And we recognize that when the Word of God is preached, it often has two different outcomes. Paul tells the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians, For we are are unto God a sweet savor of Christ in them that are saved, and in them that perish. To the one we are the savor of death unto death, and to the other we are a savor of life unto life. And who is sufficient for these things? In other words, when the message to preach, sometimes it's the message that gives people life. And sometimes it brings conviction. Or... It's going to be the grounds upon which you are judged. You're standing before God, and God's going to say, well, the Word of God was preached to you, and you chose to harden your heart towards it. To some were the savor of life unto life, to some were the savor of death unto death, and when the Word is preached, you know. So Stephen is preaching this Word to the audience, and what will be their response? We know their response, right? They're going to stone Stephen. But what is the response when you hear the Word of God? When the Word of God is preached? When the Gospel is preached? Does it bring life to you? Or is it adding to your sentence of death? Acts chapter number 7 and verse 44 says, Our fathers had the tabernacle of witness in the wilderness, as he had appointed, speaking unto Moses, that he should make it according to the fashion that he had seen. "...which also our fathers that came after brought in with Jesus into the possession of the Gentiles, whom God drave out before the face of our fathers unto the days of David, who found favor before God and desired to find a tabernacle for the God of Jacob. But Solomon built him a house. Howbeit the Most High dwelleth not in temples made with hands, as saith the prophet, Heaven is my throne, and earth is my footstool. What house will you build me, saith the Lord?" Or what is the place of my rest? Hath not my hand made all these things? So in our study, we have looked at Israel, and we've seen how they have fallen into idolatry. And last week, we even talked about how even in the wilderness, they were already fallen into idolatry. And their fall into idolatry was not a little one. It wasn't like, well, you know, they mostly followed God and, you know, occasionally they fell into idolatry. No, remember, they sacrificed their children to Molech. It's not a little bit of idolatry if you sacrifice your children to Molech. And so we understand there was much idolatry in the nation of Israel. And so we just want to understand that. And Stephen's making his defense here, and he had just told them, like I said at the end of verse number 43, that, While you were in the wilderness, you had a tabernacle to Molech. And he said, but look what you had. You had the tabernacle of witness in the wilderness that had been appointed by God to Moses. And he said, Moses, when you make that, make it according to the pattern that I will show thee, the pattern of what is in heaven. And so he says, you have the tabernacle of witness. He's saying, you were hard-hearted even though you had the tabernacle of witness. And, And what was the tabernacle of witness? What was the tabernacle to the children of Israel? Well, the tabernacle was that which represented the presence of God with them. In the tabernacle is where the Shekinah glory of God dwelt. It was the tabernacle that contained the Ark of the Covenant that Ark of the Covenant was a symbol of God's presence and they had the symbol of God's presence with them and they still fell into idolatry you see Stephen is saying you've been hard-hearted from the beginning and you're hard-hearted now you wouldn't listen to God even though His presence was with you. The tabernacle of witness. I thought that was interesting. What does that mean, the tabernacle of witness? Well, the tabernacle of witness is this. Is there any doubt that God's presence was with Israel in the wilderness? How could they deny the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night how could that be denied that was the visible Picture of the presence of God the cloud by day and the fire by night There is no way that they could deny the Shekinah glory of God Which dwelt above the cherubim over the ark of the covenant it could not be denied that the presence of God was with them And yet they still turn to idolatry. How could they forsake God when the visible presence of God was with them? It makes you wonder, doesn't it? But it makes you wonder how people today can forsake God when His promised His presence with His church and and His presence in His Word and and all these things and all the witness of history and all the witness of creation and all, but people still forsake God. So we just, we just need to understand that people's hearts are hardened. I mean, really and truthfully, the reason that people forsake God and the reason they're not faithful to Him is because their heart is hardened. I mean, it's just that way. They don't love God. They don't love the things of God. Because like we mentioned in the Men's Sunday School class, we make time for the things that we love. And if you don't make time for something, it's because you don't love it. And so, I mean, that's just the way that it is. People's hearts are turned away from God. And, and it's our duty to try to encourage them to turn back to God, to, 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 to get them to see why they should love God. I mean, that's what we ought to be doing. But the children of Israel turned their back on God when they had the visible presence of God with them. and so just the nature of man. But here you had the tabernacle of witness. It was the tabernacle where the presence of God was, and it was with them, and it was made according to the pattern which Moses was given. So hold your place there in Acts chapter number 7, and and turn back to the book of Exodus in chapter number 25. And these first few verses are just going to be to show us that God had a design, and God had a plan, and And he made the design and plan, and he gave it to Moses, and he told Moses in Exodus 25, verse number 8 and 9, he said this, And let them make me a sanctuary, that I may dwell among them, according to all that I show thee, after the pattern of the tabernacle, and the pattern of all the instruments thereof, even so shall you make it. So God has told them in the beginning... Moses, make this tabernacle and make it according to the pattern that I'm going to show you. And what's going to be there? It's going to be the visible symbol of my presence with you. If you look down to verse number 40, we find also there, And look that thou make them after their pattern, which was shown thee, In the mount, so so Moses couldn't say, "Well, I think it would be good for us to do this or us to do that," and you know, put a little gold here and a little blue badger skin there and a little red dye dye there and a little you know gopher wood and a little cover that with gold and you know, it wasn't none of that. Moses was given the specific plan by God. There was no free agency with Moses. Moses was to make it according to the plan of God. It, it allows us to see that, that worship of God is not up to our own discretion. Chapter number 26 and verse number 30, it says this, And thou shalt rear up the tabernacle according to the fashion thereof, which was showed thee in the mount. Chapter number 27 and verse number 8, It says, Hollow with board shalt thou make it, as it was showed thee in the mount, so shalt thou make it. You, you notice the point that's being driven home to Moses, right? Moses, you're going to make this, and you're going to make it the way I tell you to make it, Moses. It's not up to your discretion, Moses. You can't worship God, you can't worship me however you choose to, Moses. It's got to be according to my design. And that's a word for us, right? It's not up to us to decide how we want to worship God. It's up to God, and He has designed the plan. He's Unto Him be glory in the church. and He tells us about singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and praying and making melody in your hearts unto the Lord. Those things have been designed for us, and our worship to God should be according to the plan as God has designed it. Numbers chapter number 8 and verse number 4 is really just going to say the same thing. But I wanted to give you one more point. Numbers chapter number 8 and verse number 4 to see once again God saying, you make it according to the pattern that I have given you. Numbers 8, 4 says, And this work of the candlestick was of beaten gold under the shaft thereof, under the flowers thereof, was beaten work according to the pattern which the Lord had showed Moses. So he made the candlestick. The plans were so intricate. Even down to the recipe, and you're going to go ahead and turn to Exodus chapter 30 and verse number 22. Even down to the recipe of the incense. And here's the reason I want you to see this verse. Exodus 30 and verse number 22 uh, says, Moreover the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Take thou also unto thee principal spices of Of pure myrrh, 500 shekels, and of sweet cinnamon, half so much, even 250 shekels, and of sweet calamus, 250 shekels, and of cassia, 500 shekels, and after the shekel of the sanctuary, and of olive oil and hen. And thou shalt make it an oil of holy ointment, an ointment compounded after the art of the apothecary, it shall be an holy anointing oil, and thou shalt anoint the tabernacle of the congregation therewith, and the ark of the testimony, and the table, and all the vessels, and the candlestick, and his vessels, and the altar of incense, and the altar of burnt offering, with all his vessels and the and of his foot, and thou shalt sanctify them, that they be most holy, whatsoever touches them shall be holy. And thou shalt anoint Aaron and his sons, and consecrate them, that they may minister unto me in the priest's office. And thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel, saying, This shall be a holy anointing oil unto me throughout your generations. Upon man's flesh shall it not be poured, neither shalt thou you make any other like it. After the composition of it, it is holy, and it shall be holy unto you, Whosoever compoundeth any like it, or whosoever putteth any of it upon a stranger, shall be even cut off from his people. And he goes on and talks about uh, the perfume and those things to make there to be holy unto the Lord, and they're not to make any like it. Verse 38, Whosoever shall make like unto that to smell thereto shall be even cut off from his people. So the point is that they can't make it up on their own. They can't do like they feel. And if they try to do it on their own, they're going to be cut off. And so you should be desirous of worshiping God as He has prescribed. The worship that we have of God should be according to His design. We're not free agents. We're following the pattern laid out by the early church. And we continue to do the things laid out by the early church. You want to know why our services are designed the way they are? It's what the early church did. That's what we continue to do. It's been passed down through the ages. And that should be important to us. And so some other things that we understand here, that it's God's design here in the tabernacle. Also, we understand that it's fashioned after the temple in heaven. Second of all, we understand about this tabernacle, what is it? It is the dwelling place of God. And What we understand here is who could go into the holiest of holies? Only the high priest once a year. Who could enter into the place of the brazen altar and the brazen laver? Who could enter into the holy place? Only the priest. And the only ones that could enter into the holy place were the priests that were on duty that day. You couldn't just say, hey, let's go down to the tabernacle and let's hang out for a while. And You couldn't even get in the gate. The point being, there's a separation between God and man. And there's a place where God is to be worshipped. and God must be worshipped according to His desire. Fourthly, we understand about the tabernacle, and I'm making some broad um, uh, generalities here, but we understand if you've studied the tabernacle that you cannot approach God without a sacrifice for sin. You had to go to the brazen altar and make the sacrifice before you could go to the tabernacle, and you had to go to the brazen laver before you could enter the holy place. I mean you can't just come to god on your own you had to have a representative if you were of the children of israel you never went into the presence of god a representative went into the presence for you do you know the same is true today right what makes you think that you would go into the presence of god Here's a holy God who is of purer eyes than to behold evil, and he hates sin, and here you are, a wicked, sinful individual. What makes you think you could walk into the presence of God? You can't. And it's the foolishness of people in our world today that thinks they're going to just strut their way into heaven and say, Look at God, look, God, here I am. There's none of us that can approach God without a representative. That's why we need a representative. And that representative is Jesus Christ. We can only approach God through Jesus Christ. And that's one of the things that should stir our heart about worshiping God is that we know that we have the ability to come into the throne of grace to find mercy and grace to help us in time of need because we have an intercessor, Jesus Christ, who is our representative before God. Because we can't go before God in our sinfulness. We need Jesus. Jesus. And that's one of the reasons that we ought to be thankful that we have the ability to worship because we're worshiping God today through Jesus Christ. And that's one of the things, it's a picture that's painted for us in the tabernacle. But then we also see that God is a God of order. He doesn't, it's not, nothing God does is freelance. It's not God waking up in the morning and saying, oh, I wonder what's going to happen today. No. Known unto him are all of his works from the beginning. Every day is ordered by God. Whatever is happening today is happening according to the decree of God. God is a God of order in all things, nothing's happening by chance. And so we see it in the tabernacle that God is a God of order. And those are some things that the children of Israel should have noticed because they had the tabernacle of witness with them. But as we go back to Acts chapter 7 and verse number 45, we also see this that it says about the tabernacle, which also our fathers that came after brought in with Jesus into the possession of the Gentiles, whom God drave out before the face of our fathers under the days of David, Does that confuse anyone, that our fathers brought in with Jesus? What's that mean? Jesus wasn't alive. How did the fathers bring it in with Jesus? How did they bring the tabernacle in with Jesus? Well, it's not difficult to understand if you understand that, you know, just like we have uh, William and Bill, okay, or Will, Jesus is the name of Joshua, okay? So when they're saying, which brings him in, and, and, if, and if Jesus of Nazareth would have been alive during the days of the wilderness wanderings, he would have been Joshua of Nazareth. It's the same name. So when it says Jesus here, it means Joshua. So which our fathers had their tabernacle of, of witness in the wilderness, or which also our fathers that came after brought in with Joshua into the possession of the Gentiles. And that makes perfect sense, doesn't it? Because who went into the possess- Who crossed the River Jordan? And who went into the land of Canaan? Who was the leader at that time? Joshua. So all of a sudden, it, that makes perfect sense, right? That it's talking about Joshua there. But the tabernacle came into Canaan when Joshua led Israel into Canaan. And what was that? possession why did the ark of the covenant and the tabernacle go in notice it says that god drave out before the face of our fathers under the days of david the presence of god drove out the inhabitants of canaan we know it wasn't the military might of israel that drove out the canaanites right it was god who drove them out god's plan for israel was set in place and israel would inhabit canaan Israel just needed to walk by faith, and God was going to accomplish His purpose. Israel was going to inhabit all of the land that God had given unto Abraham. And so they should have expected that God was going to drive out the inhabitants of Canaan. But they didn't walk by faith. They didn't do what God told them to do. And how often do we struggle in our lives when we should be walking by faith, walking according to the plan of God as He has designed, but because we don't listen or because we don't want to apply the Word of God to our lives or we don't even look at the Word of God for direction, we can't walk by faith. And so we struggle in our lives. But I want you to notice something. Notice this big jump. He jumps from Joshua to David, right? Right? Whom God drave out before the face of our fathers, Joshua, came into Canaan land. God drave out before, the fa- before our fathers under the days of David. Big jump there. I didn't put it in years. I should have done that, but I didn't think about it until just now. I didn't know that how many years that uh, Stephen just jumps over a, a lot of history from Joshua to David, and if you would take the time to stop and think, well, what all did we miss if you're going from Joshua to David? And we're going to talk about that in just a minute. But let's remember that Stephen's not giving necessarily a history lesson here, so it's okay that he skipped this much room from, from Joshua to, to David because those to whom he is speaking, and give, when he's giving his speech here, they would know that history. But he skips over it and, and I want us to think about, what did he skip? Well, he skipped all of Judges. And he skipped the life of Samuel. He skipped all the life of Saul. So all of that struggle between Saul and David, I mean, Stephen doesn't even mention any of that. See, all of Judges, Samuel, and Saul, it's all left out. And we can talk about why that is, um, but we'll not talk about that. But he, but he skipped over that. Because again, he's, his purpose is he's, he's showing the hard-heartedness of Israel. And so he's skipping over all that. But, but I do want to go back and look into that section for just a little bit because I want to talk about Samuel. Because Samuel is an important character in the Scripture. Again, I'm, I'm not specifically speaking about all that Stephen did. I, I'm using this as kind of an outline for the history of Israel. But I, I want to go back and talk about Samuel. Who was Samuel? Remember, Samuel is the child that Hannah, uh, that Hannah prayed for. And Samuel served with Eli. Remember, Hannah took Samuel and, and you know, gave him to Eli. This is the son that God has promised me, and so I'm giving him to you because God has given him to me. And so he served as a priest with Eli. And God spoke to Samuel as, when he was just a young boy, Let's go now to 1 Samuel chapter number 3. So there's lots of things that we could talk about here, right? We could, we could talk about uh, the faithfulness of, of Hannah surrendering her son and dedicating her son to the service of God. We could talk about how important it is for families to do that, that, you know, that we uh, surrender our children and, and, and to give them to God because He's given them to us. We could talk about how Samuel is just a... Just a young man, just a child. And he's, and he, and he's used of God. God. God speaks to him as just a boy. First Samuel chapter number 3. It says, And the child Samuel ministered unto the Lord before Eli, and the word of the Lord was precious in those days. There was no open vision. So, so here you have... There's no open vision. God's not speaking to anyone. The word of the Lord is precious. And so if anyone said, I've got a word of the Lord, I mean, it was important. And there wasn't very much. But we know that God spoke to Samuel. And Samuel said, this is what Eli, this is what, Eli, this is what God is saying. You you remember, right? Samuel wakes up and he... Well, hear mine. He thinks it's Eli, and he goes to Eli and says, "Did you call for me?" And Eli's like, "I didn't call for you. Go back to bed." And Eli hears, or Samuel hears the voice again, and he goes to Eli and says, "Did you call for me?" And he says, like, "I didn't call for you. Go back to bed." And the third time, "Did you hear me? I didn't call you. Go back. It must be God speaking to you." And it was God speaking to him. Samuel delivered the message that listen. Eli, because you and your sons are not faithful, you're going to die. Look at verse number 19. And the Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and did let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan even to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was established to be a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again in Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel in Shiloh by the word of the Lord. And so Samuel... Delivered the message that Eli and his sons were going to perish, and we know that's exactly what happened. The Ark of the Covenant was taken, and and Eli and his sons, they they died, and people knew that Samuel is a prophet. So Samuel is the last judge. You know, we really don't. Maybe you don't grasp that, right? But when you're reading through the book of Judges and you get to the end of the book of Judges, you don't really recognize that because, you know, it's not in Judges. It's in 1 Samuel. But Samuel is a judge. He's the last judge. And he's the first prophet. He's the first prophet since Moses. And some consider Samuel to be the greatest of all judges because of the places where he led Israel. But but there you have Samuel. And and then we go through all the, the life of Samuel. And what did Samuel try to do? Samuel tried to leave his sons as judges in his place. But if you turn over to 1 Samuel chapter number 8, verses 1 through 5, it says, And it came to pass when Samuel was old that he made his sons judges over Israel. Now the name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second Abiah, and these were, these, they were judges in Beersheba. And his sons walked not in his ways, but turned aside after lucre, and took bribes and perverted judgments. Then all the elders of Israel gathered themselves together, and came to Samuel unto Ramah, and said unto him, Behold, thou art old, and thy sons walk not in thy ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. It's actually the sins of Samuel's sons that lead the children of Israel to desire a king. And, of course, we know that Samuel anoints Saul to be the king, and then, you know, that we, we know how that turns out. And his sons continued on unfaithfully, but what did Samuel do? Samuel continued faithfully. So, you know, even though your children may be unfaithful, that does, should not persuade you not to be faithful. And Peter even gives Samuel the first place among the prophets, and that's found in Acts chapter number 3, in verse number 24. I don't want you to turn there. I'll turn there. I want you to turn to First Samuel chapter number 12. Acts chapter number 3, I'm going to read this to you. Verse 24 says, again, just Peter giving him first place among the prophets. And why we wanted to look at him. It says, Yea, and all the prophets from Samuel and those that follow after, as many as have spoken, have likewise foretold of these days. So Samuel was given the first place among the prophets by, uh, by Peter. And now, Samuel's farewell speech. 1 Samuel chapter number 12 and verse number 1. And Samuel said unto all Israel, Behold, I have hearkened unto your voice in all that you have said unto me and have made a king over you. And now behold, the king walketh before you. And I'm old and gray-headed. And behold, my sons are with you. And I have walked before you from my childhood unto this day. Behold, here I am. Witness against me before the Lord and before his anointed. Whose ox have I taken? Or whose ass have I taken? Or whom have I defrauded? Whom have I oppressed? Or of whose hand have I received any bribe to blind mine eyes therewith? And I will restore it to you. And they said, Thou hast not defrauded us, nor oppressed us, neither hast taken aught of any man's hand. And he said unto them, The Lord is witness against you, and his anointed is witness this day, that you have not found aught in my hand. And they answered, He is witness. And Samuel said unto the people, It is the Lord that advanced Moses and Aaron and that brought your fathers up out of the land of Egypt. Now therefore stand still that I may reason with you before the Lord of all the righteous acts of the Lord which he did to you and to your fathers when Jacob was come into Egypt and your fathers cried unto the Lord. Then the Lord sent Moses and Aaron, which brought forth your fathers out of Egypt and made them dwell in this place. And when they forgot the Lord their God, he sold them into the hand of Sisera, captain of the host of Hazor, and in the hand of the Philistines, and in the hand of the king of Moab. And they fought against them. And they cried unto the Lord and said, We have sinned because we have forsaken the Lord and have served Balaam and Ashtaroth. But now deliver us out of the hand of our enemies, and we will serve thee. And the Lord sent Jerubabal and Bedan and Jephthah and Samuel and delivered you out of the hand of your enemies on every side, and you dwelled safe. And when you saw that Nahash, the king of the children of Israel, came against you, you said unto me, Nay, but a king shall reign over us when the Lord your God was king. Now therefore behold the king whom you have chosen and whom you have desired. And behold, the Lord hath set a king over you. So this speech concludes that god's going to send judgment so that they can see and if you go on and read you can see that god's going to send judgment so that they can see the wickedness in choosing a king so they can see the wickedness of their turning their heart against god i bring that out because these to whom stephen is speaking they should know they should know that history. I, I wanted to give you that brief history of Samuel just so you could kind of put him in place. Where is Samuel? He's between Judges and, and David, and he's the last judge, and he's the first prophet after Moses to speak the Word of God. And remember, what does a prophet do? A, a prophet speaks for God. He speaks directly from God. The words that a prophet speaks are to be directly the words of God. And that's why we don't see prophets today. Listen, when someone calls themselves a prophet, that's a serious thing because what they're saying is, we're speaking the will of God. It's a dangerous thing. But I wanted you to see that brief history of Samuel just so you could kind of put him in his place. But these to whom Stephen is speaking, they should have known of Samuel, and they should have recognized the sin in calling a king, and how God had brought judgment. And every time they turned their hard hearts against God, God brought judgment against them. And so, again, Stephen is driving home the point. Israel has always rebelled against God. What has been, been God's response? He continues to call them out. As a matter of fact, listen to these words. This is Isaiah chapter number 50 and verse number 2. Wherefore, when I came, was there no man? When I called, was there none to answer? Is my hand shortened at all that it cannot redeem? Or have I no power to deliver? Behold, at my rebuke I drive the sea. I make the rivers a wilderness. Their flesh stinketh because there is no water and Uh, dieth for thirst. In other words, God is saying, I'm calling out to you, and why won't you listen? Why won't you hear? Then He says in chapter number 65, in verse number 12, He says this, Therefore will I number you to the sword, and you shall all bow down to the slaughter, because when I called, you did not answer. When I spake, you did not hear. But did evil before mine eyes, and did choose that wherein I delighted not. And so, listen, Israel should have known God called out to them, but they would not listen. They continued hard heartedly to turn their backs against God. And Stephen's audience should know that. Stephen's speech should have caused them to look into their past and think about how they rejected God in the past. They should understand that God has called to us, but we would not listen. And because of that, we went into captivity. They should have listened. And they should have listened today. When Stephen's given a speech, they should have listened, but they didn't. They continued on in the hard-heartedness. And that's a warning to us. We should learn from the example of Israel. God has told us that he has given us Israel to be an example to us. He said this, Paul told First Corinthians 10, Now all these things have happened unto them for examples, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. Wherefore let him thinketh he stand, take heed lest he should fall. Another All those things that happened in Israel were examples to you that you should listen. It's what Paul told the Corinthians. And what we should listen to, what is the result of rejecting God? What is the re- result of not enjoying His presence? What is the result of turning your heart hard towards God? Israel suffered... Greatly, because they would not listen. Let's learn the example. Let's not have hard hearts towards God. It is evident that Israel did not learn the lesson. It is evident today, right, that Israel did not learn the lesson. The question is, will you? Will you learn the lesson of hard-heartedness? Heavenly Father, I pray that we will learn the lesson and that we will not turn our backs. That our hearts will be softened. And we will listen to your word. And we will turn from our wicked ways. And we will follow you with our whole heart. We thank you for this opportunity. We have to be in your house today and learn from your Lord. Pray your blessings upon your people today. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.